Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 8. We are in week three of a series that we call Missio Dei, which is Latin for the mission of God. Uh, I taught you a little bit of Latin, imago Dei, image of God, missio Dei, mission of God. They are both important, they're both necessary, and uh, that's all the Latin I've got, so I've got nothing else for you in terms of that language. Apparently, my mother-in-law took Latin in high school, um, but that was back in the 1800s, so I don't know. <laughs> Mom, if you're watching, I love you. <laughs> don't tell on me, please. Um, but uh, Acts chapter 8 is where we're, we are leaning into. We're talking through the, the fact that the mission of God is something that is part of the pillar of the church. We've got three pillars of the church. I believe we have the pillar of the presence of God. We've got the pillar of the formation that God does in our life. Then we've got mission. And we have churches that sometimes exist on one of those. We are the formation church. We're the presence church. We're the missions church. And I think that's actually a, a, that's a discrepancy to the kingdom of God and to the body of Christ. We are we're all called to carry the presence of God, the, the formation of what God wants to do in our life, and the mission of God in our life. Somebody say amen to that. If you're brand new with us today, my name is Dave. I'm the pastor here, and I just celebrate that y'all have joined us uh, on, a, on, a, on a wild winter Sunday. Isn't it awesome that the snow is just basically gone forever, right? We're done with it for the rest of the year. No one, no one, like my thought is it's going to happen Easter weekend. Easter is like five weeks away. The last Sunday of March is Easter Sunday. So but make sure, mark your calendars, Easter Sunday. Um, we've got actually magnets on our connection center that they're invite magnets. If you want to invite a friend, you hand somebody a, a ticket or a pamphlet. Uh, it's like somebody saying, here, you throw this away. But you give them a magnet, they'll take that magnet, chuck it up on the fridge, and it's there to remind them. So we've got invite magnets for you if you want to invite people out to Easter. But also, Good Friday evening. We did something called a Tenabon service last year, and it decided this is what we're going to do for the foreseeable future for Good Friday is we're going to talk about the, the, the death of Christ. We're going to talk about, uh, we're just going to read the scripture and the story, sing songs together. And we just created this somber atmosphere where we soaked into the grieving moment of, of our Savior being crucified. It was powerful. It was wonderful. And I'm telling you what, I might have had a few compliments through the years about Good Friday, but last year uh, we, we, we all just went nuts. Like this was the right way to do Good Friday. And so mark your calendars. So it's the 31st, it's Easter which means 29th is uh, Friday. It's going to be fantastic. We've been talking about being missional, and we believe that being missional means that we have the eyes to see where God is working so that we can join him. That's been the heart of the series. We started off with that in, in week number one and when we talked about the calling of Jeremiah. Um, and then obviously last week we got into the calling of Isaiah but it's been all about having the eyes, having missional eyes to see where God is working so that we can join him there. Not have the eyes to see where God is working so we can send somebody else there, but to have the eyes to say, God, where are you working? We're talking about in home, in our workplace, in the marketplace, in our neighborhoods, wherever God has placed us. God, where are you working? I want to find out where you're working so that I can join you. And that's why we're diving into week number three, and we're going to talk about being led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to do numbers of, of roles within our lives, and one of the roles is the Holy Spirit. He leads our lives, and he leads us into mission. Would you stand with me for the reading of the Word? Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse, uh, verse 26. 
Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. He rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, uh, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of our treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran over to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come in and sit with him in the Uber. And now the passage of scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this, his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, here, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself as Azotas. And as he passed through and preached the gospel until all of the towns, uh, to, to all the towns until they came to Caesarea. What an amazing and very peculiar story. Philip sent by the Spirit to go talk to an Ethiopian eunuch. Mommy, what's a eunuch? We'll talk about it when we get home. And there they have this interaction, this moment where he leads this Ethiopian man, this official, this man of power and influence to the Lord, and immediately he is transported from that moment into another spot. One of the few times you'll ever see that in Scripture. Some of you introverts are praying for the power of God to move in your life during power parties for which you don't want to talk to anybody and you just get transported elsewhere, back into your pajamas, sitting in bed. But the most thing, the thing that we have to catch is not... How did Philip go from here to there? Or what did Philip say? Sometimes we defeat the mission of God in our life because we're so worried about what we're going to say and what we're going to do rather than simply saying yes to the Spirit of God's leading in our lives. So Holy Spirit, our lives are open to you today. Ask that you would speak because your servants are listening and we are ready to respond with a wholehearted yes. We want to say yes to you. And Lord, I pray that you would raise up Phillips out of this congregation that are willing to listen to your voice, to heed your voice, because there are other individuals that are saying what this Ethiopian eunuch had said, how will I know unless somebody explains it, God? Our world is waiting for someone to step up to the mic, and we the church, we will not stand idly by, God. We're ready to listen and to respond. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Give someone a high five before you're seated. While you're seated, saying, do you know what a eunuch is? I'm kidding. Don't, no, just don't go there. I grew up in amazing, just an amazing home. I, I really, I, I could complain about how conservative and strict my parents were. Um, but I look back and I realize how lucky I was to, to grow up in the house uh, that I, I grew up in. I, I should just say the home. Um, the atmosphere, we lived, uh, honestly, quite simple. 
But my parents, just, they grew us up in the admonition of the Lord. That's just really what Deuteronomy chapter 6 challenges parents to do. It's what we read to you parents during child dedication. Uh, something that I will be forever grateful because, you know, my, my parents, uh, there's a lot of things they said no to. For example, I, I was not allowed to play hockey You're like because it's so violent. I'm like, no, because they played on Sundays. Uh, I didn't play football until middle school. Why? Because football, they, they played on Sundays, and so we just didn't do anything on Sundays other than we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and, that, and we took Sunday afternoon naps, which is mandated by the Lord. God blesses Sunday afternoon naps. <laughs> Haven't had one all football season, so it feels really, really good now. But I grew up in such a way that my parents emphasized the idea of hearing from God. And it was so ingrained in me from the get-go that everything that we do, we ought to seek God's direction and seek God's presence because God is faithful and he's going to give direction. Sometimes he does that with a voice within your ear. Sometimes God gives you a, a picture. Uh, we say sometimes a picture in your head, a vision. Sometimes God gives you a burden. But uh, So I was raised... This being the norm, that whenever we did anything, if we were going to go into a direction with our family, if my parents were going to do anything, we had to hear from the Lord. I remember going through some problems in our church as a kid. I just remember some situations rising up, and I'm like, you know, are we going to go to, go to a different church? And my parents says, no, we haven't heard from the Lord to go to another church. Therefore, we stay where God has us until he's given us a different direction. And I remember when God gave us a different direction because dad became a pastor and went into ministry as a senior associate for the next 30 years. I remember talking to dad about um, retiring. My dad, at around the age 50, had his 30 years in at Ford Motor Company. I said, dad, you ought to retire. He says, I will, but God, I haven't heard from the Lord yet on, on when I'm supposed to retire. He says, I've started a couple Bible studies and I can't retire until I raise up leaders to take over those Bible studies because that's my mission field. And I won't leave until the Lord gives me different direction. And so that's just something that I was, I thought this was the norm in homes. I thought if Jesus was a center of your home, this is just the norm. And so even when kind of growing up and growing through life and, and hearing from God for myself, what God wanted me to do with my life, I knew God called me to be a pastor. And so dad saw, dad just, he'll describe it. Dave, you had a look in your eye. You just, I knew that's what God wanted you to do, and so we, we blessed it. And then they, want, they had a, a college picked out for me in Florida, Southeastern Bible College. They had Southeastern picked out for me. Um, wasn't the, the education. It had everything to do with the weather. It had nothing to do with education. And uh, I went on a college days trip to Missouri to where my youth pastor went, and I had this encounter with the Holy Spirit that said, this is where you're supposed to go. And for me to go spend four years in Missouri, you knew that had to be the voice of the Lord. God bless Missouri, but that's not where I would want a vacation, but that's just where God had me for four years. And I remember dad saying that when I told him that I was going to go to Central Bible College, CBC, he said, you had a look in your eye. I knew that's what you were supposed to do. And then when I uh, was dating Ann and I talked to my parents about maybe marrying Ann, my mom tried talking me out of it. True story. And my dad just looked at me and he says, I, saw this, I see the same look in your eye as you, heard, as you talked about your calling in the ministry and where you were going to CBC. This is, what, this is who you need to marry. Now, granted, my mom really likes my wife. Don't ever think that my mom is against Anne. She now sides with Anne. Uh, if we fight, her, her family's on her side and my family's on her side. So I'm just, the, the cheese stands alone. But this idea 
of hearing from God was such, it's just something that I've only known to do. It's what I've told my kids. All I ever want for you is to follow Jesus and to do whatever he tells you. And it's all I ever want from the people of God that come to this church is I want you to follow Jesus and do whatever he tells you to do. Because when it comes to being people on mission, it is required of us to have the openness to the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we're going to be people on mission, we're going to follow the Missio Dei, it is a requirement that we have the openness to the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit speaks to you for your benefit. He will challenge you. He will encourage you. He will build you up for your benefit. Also, he will build you up for the sake of the benefit of others. He will move in your life, not just so he can move in you, but so he can move through you. That may sound cliche in the church today, but it is complete truth. That we got to be more than people that just receive what God is doing. God wants to have other people receive through your life on an everyday basis. Somebody please say amen to that. Now, that's what brings us to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, if you actually go back to chapter 1, you don't have to, but if you look at the title, most of your Bibles do not say book of Acts. It says what? Acts of the Apostles. And now that's, it's an okay title, but I actually, it's, I think it's misleading. And don't get me wrong, I think the Apostles, I think they're pretty important people. I think they're extremely important people. But when you really look at the book of Acts, I think it's actually more apt to not label the, the acts of the apostles, but the acts of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I think that's a better title is quite often when we think about the Holy Spirit, we see the Holy Spirit as a tool in the hands of the believer. But I'm here to say that is a misunderstanding, that the Holy Spirit is not a tool in the hands of the believer. We are tools in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Lean over and tell your neighbor, you're, don't, say, don't say that. We're all tools in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us. I mean, quite often when I talk to people about talents, abilities, and things, or they develop uh, an ability, they develop a thing, I'll say that's another, uh, that's another tool in, in, the, in the tool chest. That's another club in the bag. But we treat the Holy Spirit like this unknown abstract force. But I'm here to say this church, we are a Trinitarian church. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We believe he is a part of the Godhead, that he has a will, he has a plan. And the Holy Spirit freely invites us into what he is already doing. If there's anything I want you to understand in this series is God is already up to something. He is just inviting all of us to become a part of it. I'm so sick of praying, God, do something in our church. Do something in our community. You know what? He is doing something. Many times he's waiting for us to jump on board into what he is doing. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 8. Is this man by the name of Philip who is led by the Holy Spirit to move into mission. If you go even go back to verse 4, verse 4 says, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Why were they scattered? They were scattered because of persecution. You have to read the book of Acts, especially Acts chapter 8, because there is a man by the name of Saul who starts ravaging the church. He starts attacking people. He even leads people to go and to be killed for their faith. And so the beginning of Acts chapter 8 is this intense pressure upon the church. But how many of you know that when the gospel gets pressured, the gospel flourishes? Some of y'all get so 
uptight and fearful whenever laws come by, whenever the gospel gets pressured, whenever the church get, gets pressured, and I get phone calls, I get, message, I get messages, Pastor, what are we going to do? I'm here to say this. We're going to keep being biblical. We're going to keep following Jesus. And anytime the culture pressures the gospel, this is the stupidity of the devil. He tries to press the church, but every time he does, the gospel flourishes in the middle of pressure. It does every single time. And in the face of persecution, it says this, that verse four, those that are scattered kept preaching the word. They kept preaching the word. And so Philip is one of those. And Philip, in the middle of a prayer time, and he is spoken to by an angel, the angel says, Philip, rise and go south and to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. I'm going to send you to a direction and a direction that has no life. How many of you would hear from God if he says, I want you to go to Hawaii? Somebody, oh man, I would heed the call of God in a heartbeat. I would sacrifice that. I'd sell my home for that, Pastor Dave. Philip is like, go, to, go south on this road. There's life. There's no life there, but enjoy. And Philip doesn't ask questions. Philip, verse 27, look at the simple wording that's there. It says that he rose and went. Pure obedience, it's such a significant detail because this is not Dave Berenger. When God called me into ministry, there's a reason why I spent four hours at the altar right there at the steps on a Sunday night. I spent four hours there. Why? Because I wanted details from God and God would not give me details. So I stayed until God gave me details and guess what? God still not give, didn't give me details and so I just rose and went. And this is what God's calling us to do is to simply say yes to God. Philip doesn't even know where he's going. He just gets up and he goes. And the story is really very peculiar because he gets up and he goes and he's just kind of walking around. He's like, okay, God, I'm just being obedient to you. I'm following you. And then he all of a sudden sees this, this man of power, this man of influence, this Ethiopian who, I wish we had a name for him so that in heaven we're just not calling him the Ethiopian eunuch. He's going to be like, dude, my name is Joe. All right, call, call me by my name. This is all we know him as. And he is in a chariot, and he is sitting there reading out loud. Now, growing up, remember the old flannel graph during Sunday school class? Some of y'all been deprived, never had that in Sunday school class. But I, the Ethiopian eunuch was always alone in the chariot. I'm like, how is he reading and seating and driving a chariot? It's like texting and driving here. But he's a man of power and influence, which meant he would have had a driver. So the situation is this. We don't know if he's stuck in Westinch traffic and he's not moving that far. We don't know if he's just, they're just trotting along or he's just sitting in a still chariot. All we know is he's sitting there reading out loud. Is he reading out loud to himself? Is he reading to the driver? We don't know. He, we know he's reading out loud. And Philip comes close to him and he's, he's just kind of bending the ear and he recognizes the words of the prophet Isaiah that we know as Isaiah chapter 53. And he's reading it, and he's like, excuse me, sir, I, I hear you reading that. Do you know what it means? And he says those immortal words, how will I know unless somebody tells me? If we could actually look at the world around us and the spheres of influence that God has placed every single one of us, I promise you, there are hearts that are crying out, I don't know anything about this. Will somebody please explain this to me? Our friends, our family, our co-workers, our teammates, our schoolmates, these individuals are crying out, somebody explain God to me. 
and he steps in and he explains the gospel and now they're riding along and they come up to water and the, and the eunuch just simply says, you know what? I want Christ in my life, but why can't I be baptized? And he's like, you know what? Why not? And he goes and has this sporadic baptism moment and, and all of a sudden he's caught up. The Spirit of God transports him like Star Trek to another location and, then, and that's all we know at the end of the story. And the, so we have all these questions. Well, what happened next to the eunuch? What happened next to Philip? We've got a few little details, but the reality is you're not here to, to fret about the results. What we're here to do is to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do is give you just two simple truths this morning. We're going to keep it simple and practical today. We're going to talk about what it does it mean to be led by the Spirit on a daily basis. If you're a note taker, and I know you are, write this down. Number one, to be led by the Spirit means to be open to spontaneous moments. To be led by the Spirit means to be open to spontaneous moments. This was spontaneous. Philip did not wake up that morning and say, Hey Siri, would you put talk to eunuchs on my calendar today? I hope right now that Siri is responding on some of your iPhones and actually throwing that in your calendar. That would be amazing. Alexis, please add, this was, <laughs> Alexa, I said Alexis, didn't I? Stop it. I'm going to hear it about all afternoon now. All afternoon. This wasn't on Philip's radar all it was is being led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit, what does that truly mean? That means that we are ready to demonstrate truth. We are ready to demonstrate grace. We are dem ready to demonstrate love. We're ready to demonstrate a listening ear. We're ready to demonstrate serving, servanthood. We are ready to give from our lives because that's what God has called us to. That means that we are on the ready at the moment's notice that when the Holy Spirit says, that person right there, go serve them. That person right there, go help them. That person right there, go ask them a question. That neighbor right there, go listen to them. That we are ready at the drop of the hat because the Spirit of God tells us. But quite often in the church, what we have waited for is we have waited for tactics and fads to do that. Back in the 80s, one of the biggest things that we did was our youth pastor or our senior pastor would give us what's called tracks. T-R-A-C-T-S. And those tracks could be little stories, little scriptures, um, things that had like, the, oh, always King James for some reason, King James Version language on there. Um, we would have uh, little stories of people making decisions and having to decide heaven or hell. And what we would do is we would walk up and say, God bless you, and hand them a track, and we would walk away. Or if they were, you were more daring, hand them a track, let them read it, and start asking them questions. And the most famous question is, if you were to stand before God today, and God says, should I let you in my kingdom? What would you say? And most people are like, well, I'm a good person. And that was our, that was our tactic. That was our way to evangelize. And then all of a sudden the 80s developed into, in the church culture world, doing plays and productions on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights where we would invite people out. Anybody remember Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames? We, we rewrote and did our own play called The Edge of Eternity. Sounds dramatic, doesn't it? We do passion plays. And, and, and if, you've, if you're unfamiliar with the plays I just told you, what we would do is we would build a big heaven set and we'd have a big hell set 
and then somebody's life would be lived, they would die, and then they would either walk up into heaven or get thrown into hell. And at the end, the pastor would get up, and, and most people are scared half to death. They're like, I don't want to go to hell. And honestly, one year, we accidentally set hell on fire. It's like the best effect we ever did in the middle of a service. A demon jumped out and sprayed down hell with a fire extinguisher and the front three rows with a chemical fire extinguisher. It was a disaster. Nobody ever fought back. They all came to Jesus that day. It was amazing. But sometimes we're so dependent upon the church building doing something and we get leaning into fads and ideas. And somebody gave me this advice years ago. Missional ideas come and go like fads. Don't exhaust your people by thinking there's a magic bullet. Two things you need. Passion for God and compassion for people. That's it. Passion for God. The magnets are not there to say, turn or burn, and you walk away. Magnet is a place to have an invitation, maybe even a conversation. And I think the greatest conversation is not when you give the magnet, is maybe when they've come to Easter or they ask you why come to Easter. And all of a sudden, you don't have to say, well, read the magnet. Don't read the magnet. Talk to them about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit often speaks through his people in unplanned ways. He often gives unplanned directions, next steps, unplanned encouragement, unplanned words. And I'm here to say that you've heard this from me for so many years, that you might be the answer somebody has been praying for. This Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah, and he's wondering, man, who, how am I going to understand this? But he's still reading. He's still trying to understand. And maybe he's even whispering the words, this prophet wrote this, God, could you send somebody my way? And all of a sudden, Philip is right there. And Philip is there because he said yes to Jesus. And I'm here to say that God may be calling you into some spontaneity in your relationship with Jesus. And sometimes it's because he gave you a burden for somebody. Sometimes he's just given you a, a vision for, for where you need to go. And other times, he just wants you to be faithful to him so that when the moment comes up that you are ready. God wants to deposit something in your spirit and he is calling you to respond in faith. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm here to say that you have to be ready for the spontaneous if you want to be a person led by the Holy Spirit. I remember it was uh, back in December and I'm in Meyer. And so I want to go into my, pop my AirPods in. I've usually got my hat on, my hood on, and I'm just in there, just in and out because I don't want to stay in my ear longer than I ever have to. Y'all know what I'm talking about. As I'm walking by, I hear Pastor Dave because I'm wearing a hat and for some reason that just changes. It's like, yeah, wearing a hat changes the whole look. And I'm like, yeah, what's going on? And all of a sudden in the frozen food aisle, I'm having a conversation and all of a sudden having this God moment where an individual starts sharing about losses that's gone on in her life. And it's very easy for the American church just to say, you know what, well, well, I will remember you in prayer and then we'll walk around and we keep doing our thing. But right there, and right next to DiGiorno's Pizza, we held hands together and we had a little prayer meeting. Why? Because sometimes the Spirit of God doesn't want to walk according to your timetable and according to your calendar, but he wants to do something right in the moment and minister to people right then and there. We have to be ready for the spontaneous. Philip. For him, he just wanted to know what God is up to and wanted to be a part of it. And the question that I get from people most often is, well, how do I know it's God? If God is speaking to me about something specifically, how do I know it's God? It's very simple. Does this moment produce the fruit of the Spirit? That's your litmus test. Does the moment produce the fruit of the Spirit? What's the fruit of the Spirit? I'm glad you asked me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Let's not make it complicated. If God is calling you to do something, leading you to do something, if it's producing this in your life and it's going to produce this in the life of the person you're talking to, I'm here to say that's of Jesus. If it looks like Jesus, it sounds like Jesus, then it's going to be of Christ. Well, I don't want to get it wrong. If it's going to look and sound like Jesus, I promise you, you're not going to get it wrong. You're not. Which leads me toward number two. To be led by the Spirit requires a sustained movement toward Jesus and the way of his kingdom. You need to be ready for the spontaneous, but I want you to understand it requires a sustained movement toward Jesus. I like how Eugene Peterson says it best. Eugene Peterson calls this, life is a long obedience in the same direction. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Philip has been living with a sustained movement toward Christ ever since he was called to follow Jesus. And it enabled him to have conversations with Ethiopian eunuchs and the like. When you have got a sustained movement toward Christ in your everyday life, it helps you to be ready for the spontaneous. It helps you. To have a sustained movement toward Jesus means that we have to radically reorder our lives. Now, you know, like, well, Pastor Dave, i got to radically reorder everything. But we do that with other things, don't we? When we started dating our present spouse, when we first met that person, did we not start radically reordering things? All of a sudden, we're calling. We're showing up. We're surprising. We're reorienting our lives in order to facilitate a relationship that we think might be more. And when we get married, we radically, everything gets reoriented whether you like it or not. But I think one of the best ways to even fix a marriage is to get out of, your, out of what you used to be doing and get back to reorienting your life to make sure that the marriage is the first thing outside of your relationship with Christ. That's the first thing that you are attending to. Because so many times is we want things fixed, we want things done in our life, but we won't do anything outside to even change anything about us. And when it comes to our relationship with God, we've got to be able to do that. We've got to attack our lives and reorient things that make sure that Jesus is first and foremost. Because to be led by the Spirit means that we have to have a life that's sustained by Jesus. A sustained life leads to the spontaneity. And a a spontaneous life is fed by the sustained life. And so the more sustained I am, the more open to the Holy Spirit I can be. And the more sustained I am, the more ready I am for what God wants to do in my life. Olivia, would you join me? See, reordering, I get this from people. To me, to reorder my life, does that mean that I have to add more to my life? I'm not saying you got to add more to your life because some of you have no margin left in your life and that's a whole other message by itself. I need to preach on margins someday because some of y'all are running your RPMs in the red every single day and all you're going to do is you're going to burn out. Well, I'm burning out for Jesus. It gives God no glory with a burned out life. It gives God no glory to be burned out. But sometimes reorienting reorienting your life means that you need to begin to look at your life and instead of adding God to it, look and ask, God, what are you up to in my life? And do it right there. This is Philip. Philip simply says yes, and he's ready. And the reason why he is ready in the middle of his yes is because he has a sustained life. Well, pastor, 
I don't know what to say to people. You know what? First, number one, you've got the Holy Spirit. If you're following Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit. Which means that Jesus says this, that I will, that I will send the Holy Spirit and he will remind you of the words that I have said. So first of all, you got the Spirit. Second of all, when you're living a sustained life, you're keeping yourself in the Word. You're keeping yourself in prayer. That's where a lot of the preparation takes place for you to be missional. Philip was able to explain some things because he was a man of the Word and a man of the Spirit. It meant he knew how to walk in a, in a leading way. He knew how to be sent to the Holy Spirit. But when the questions come up, he knew how to bring the answers because he was faithful to the scriptures. So my invitation for you this week is to take yourself back to the place of Acts chapter 8, verse 27. Philip has heard from the Holy Spirit and it just simply says, he rose and he went. He rose and he went. This week is the invitation for you to rise and go. That God is going to begin to stir you in such a way. I invite you to make this part of your morning prayer time. Every single day. Would you start your day in prayer? God, I open up my heart to you. I even throw repentance in there. Lord, search my heart. Check my heart. And then part of my morning prayer is, God, would you lead me today? Would you show me faces? Would you drop names in your heart? And for some of you this week, God is going to start dropping names and faces in your heart. He's going to give you burdens for people. And God's going to lead you to pray. And something I would ask you to do is this. Take it to the next step is let them know. I love that people pray for me. Do you guys pray for your pastor? All ten of you. I love you so much. But do me a favor, what blesses me, yes, your prayers bless me. I love when I get little text messages or little messages, Pastor, I just want to let you know I was praying for you. You have no idea what I was dealing with that week. You have no idea the things and the situations I've had to deal with. But the fact that you told me, it shows me the faithfulness of God in the middle of that moment. And when you do that to other people, sometimes it just shows them that they're not forgotten. That God knows them, that God sees them. God's going to give you things that you need to speak. Ways that you can be generous. Ways that maybe God wants to help somebody. I remember having a conversation with Pastor Juan. And Pastor Juan is our, is our Hispanic pastor. They have their service every single day at 2 o'clock. I remember him sharing about this amazing moment where somebody walked up and said, I've got a bill that I need to pay. So Pastor Juan literally opened up his wallet, grabbed, counted out all the cash in there, paid for the bill right there, and walked away. And his wife Tabitha was like, what are what are you doing? He said, God just told me to do this in this moment. Minutes later, somebody walks by and says, I felt the need just, just to give you just a blessing. It gave him a blessing, and it was every dollar to the dollar of what he just handed out and just blessed somebody else with. So, some of you are like, that's the blessings I'm looking for. We got to get to the place where we're not doing it for the blessing, we're doing it to be a blessing. And this week, God's going to lay a situation on your heart. I want you to simply, to do what Philip did, is to rise and go. To encourage somebody. To edify somebody. To let somebody know that they have a friend. To let somebody know that they have hope. To let somebody know that they're not alone in the middle of this world. One of the scariest things I think I've, in my young teenage brain is in the middle of a service. I remember it was in youth service. And during worship, I walked over to my youth pastor. And he, I don't ever remember allowing anything like this. I said, I said, Kurt, 
I said, God laid in my heart that somebody is contemplating suicide. And he goes, are, are you sure? I said, I, I think so. <laughs> I'm scared half to death. And he says, you know what? I'm going to let you speak. I'm going to let you speak in just a second. And the first time in my life, I, I mean, my hand is just shaking. And I just said, I feel like God is just really challenging somebody today that if you're dealing with the issue of suicide, that don't give up hope. And I want you to stand right now. I'm like, I couldn't believe I even said that. And all of a sudden, the individual in our youth group, she's the most popular kid in the youth group, popular kid at Chippewa Valley High School. So she's just stood up just weeping uncontrollably. And I just, I, in that moment, I kept thinking to myself, God, I will never, ever not tell you yes ever again because people's lives are at stake. People's hearts are at stake. There are other Ethiopian eunuchs that are walking in confusion and wondering, and they just need somebody that's ready to say yes to Jesus. And when you say yes to Jesus, he will lead you. He will sustain you. He will grow you. But it comes from a sustained relationship with him, which means that we need to commit now to Jesus and not just when the moment happens. Lord, I say yes to you. And as you speak, I will say yes over and over and over again. Would you bow your heads with me?